0: Peak. wow, you are a rowdy crowd today, I'm, 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 ex- I'm excited about that, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the nine o'clock service was not so rowdy, and uh, so it's a little bit, it's a lot for me to take in, I'm loving it, it's like I'm slowly waking up here, so hey, if we haven't yet, my name's, uh, my name's Michael, I'm one of the pastors here as well, and whether you're joining us here in the worship center, uh, whether you're joining us online or out in the patio A special welcome, uh, especially if this is your first time. And so uh, we're going to be going to a time of teaching, but I also have just a quick announcement, too, is that uh, I'm very excited about this encounter we come up, uh, we have coming Thursday night. And it's going to be a very important time for our church. So I want to make you aware of a couple things. First of all, that this week, our life group study is not like normal. Like normally, whatever we talk here in the weekend, we write a study that goes hand in glove with that. But this week, because we're preparing for encounter, it's a little different. So when you download your study, and I would really encourage you to do this, whether you're in a life group or not, what you're going to find is four short stories, our studies, one for each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they are going to lead us up to uh, getting ready for the encounter. And so uh, day one, we're gonna focus on personal repentance. Day two, on Church Repentance Day 3, on National Repentance, and then kind of review uh, Thursday. Now, if you if you belong in a life group, if you go to a life group, like my group meets on Tuesday night, we'll do all four days before Tuesday night. You have to kind of do this before. Um, but, uh, but, but the idea is that we would be going through and preparing our hearts. So I really encourage you, even if you're not in a life group, um, I really want you here for the encounter to do that because we're going to prepare our hearts so we get here. It's not like we're starting from zero. We've been preparing all all week, and we're going to blow the roof off this place as we we come together and really pursue God. So I want to challenge you, and this is something I rarely do if you're a a regular here at Rocky P, a long time, you know I don't do this, but I'm going to really challenge you that unless you have something you absolutely can't get out of for Thursday, or if Jesus tells you not to come, those would be the two (laughs) things, right, but other than that, uh, as your pastor, Right? As the leader, kind of pastoral leader of this staff in this church, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to come on Thursday night because here's the thing I believe God is going to do something very special, and it's going to only happen if you're in the room. Uh, we're not broadcasting this, it's not an online thing. This is a here only thing, and uh, we need to come before the Lord. We we need to come before him in our own lives. We need to come for him as a church, for the church of America, for our nation, and we need to ask that revival starts here. Amen? Right? So I'm gonna encourage you, challenge you, ask you, beg you, plead with you. Come this Thursday night. Amen? All right. All right, so we're gonna go into our time of teaching now. Inside your program is that green and white. Note sheet. I encourage you to take it out. If you're here and uh, it's maybe your first time, maybe you're online. Uh, whichever format that you're watching, either at the top or at the bottom, there's a link. So there's message notes, and you can download it in any one of the three formats that you prefer. So, if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Ready to go? Okay. So, Father, we're here. We're here in Jesus' name, and uh, we just we we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that when we come to you, it's not just a decision we make, it's something that, that changes us fundamentally at the core of our being, that your calling us is by the power of your Spirit, as we listen and follow, to be transformed to be who you are. And today, Lord, as we talk about this important topic of kingdom giving and the role it plays in our life and in the ministry of, of your church and of your, your advancing in your kingdom, I pray that you come by the power of your spirit. Lord, you said in your word in 1 Corinthians that when the people of God gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the power of the Lord is there. And so Lord, we acknowledge your presence. And what we're asking today, it's not so much you come. We know you're here. What we're asking is you would manifest your presence. And then you would speak to us by name. You said, my sheep hear my voice. You'd speak to us by name. Together, we would experience your presence. We'd be transformed by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit amen. as you write your word upon our heart and change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, our story starts today when Lynn and I were in our 20s. So um, we, we got married young. I think I was 12, she was 14. Um, but we grew up in Arkansas, it was legal. And uh, no, we did, get, we did get married young. And we got, middle, we got married mid college, right? And so about after we got done with college, we moved back to the area where we'd grown up, which was North San Diego County. So if you've been down there, kind of the Vista, Carlsbad, uh, Oceanside Triangle. That, that kind of was uh, where we grew up. And so we come back, and now we're just getting started in our careers. So we don't have any money. We're poor college kids. And, and we just started. So she's starting as a, a labor and delivery nurse at a hospital there in Oceanside. I take a position as a high school Bible teacher at a, at a Christian school. And so we're just starting off. And we had just started uh, attending uh, a, a very small new church. Uh, been, open, been going maybe four or five years Um, maybe 150 people, and so we'd been going, I can't remember exactly, maybe a year, maybe it's two, but it was fairly early on, and we were just getting involved there. And so uh, at this point in time, we felt like it was time, I think God was putting in our heart that we needed to figure out for our lives kind of our kingdom giving. Uh, and when I talk about kingdom giving today, that takes in, hey, giving to support your local church. It takes uh, kind of giving to support parachurch ministries and missionaries. It takes in giving to the poor, right? It's all part of kingdom giving. And so we felt like we needed to, like, figure this out. And so um, Lynn and I were both radical Jesus followers at this point in our life. I think we still are. We just don't look as crazy. But, um, <laughs> but we were radical. We were radic- if you've ever seen my wedding pictures, you would die. But anyway, um, it's like you know the fro, the light blue uh, suit, the ruffles. I mean, woo, yeah, it's embarrassing, right? Very few things in my life embarrassment that embarrasses me. All right, so uh, so anyway, uh, we're we're radical Jesus followers, but we came from very different backgrounds. I grew up in a Christian home where tithing, and we'll talk more about that later. But tithing uh, is a biblical term for kind of t- 10% of your off the top of your income you give to the Lord to advance his kingdom. Now, I came from a home that was a high value. I grew up with that. I was familiar with that concept. Lynn, on the other hand, grew up in a non-Christian home, so they would go to church twice a year. What are the days? Yeah, we call them Christers. Yeah, so... And so in, in her house, when they would sit down there in the church that they would go to, her dad would pull his wallet, a five or a 10 goes in twice a year, we're done for the year, right? So very different. So this concept of tithing to Lynn was like, whoa, that's a lot of money, uh, especially uh, when you're just starting out and you don't have much money. But, um, but the thing was, we both were really wanted to follow Jesus, and so um, we decided to begin to pray. Now, one of the challenges we faced Um, was that in the Christian community, and if you've been around the Christian community, you may know this, but but there's a disagreement, and we'll talk about this later, uh, uh, whether the Old Testament principle of tithing uh, for Israel, if that applies to New Testament believers today. And so we'll talk about that more later. But, but that was one of the things, like we didn't know, we wanted to honor Jesus. We wanted to listen and follow, but we, didn't, we were not really clear on what the word taught because some would teach this, some would teach that, right? And so we decided, hey, we just want to hear from Jesus. If he wants us to tithe, we'll tithe or we'll take that step of faith. We don't know how we'll do it, but we'll do that. But we don't want to do it just because it's a man-made tradition, right? So we just wanted to, so we began to seek the Lord. And about two weeks later, we got our answer. All right. So today, <laughs> we are we are uh, we're continuing this series that we started when I think when Jesus was first here. You know, it was in, uh, it's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, this is a, a, a kind of an in-depth study. Uh, One of the most important letters uh, of our time in our New Testament, uh, the second part of our Bible, uh, from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus, his name is Paul, or we call him the Apostle Paul. And, uh, And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers that he and his team had led to Jesus just three years before. Uh, They live in a very important Roman strategic city in the south of Greece called Corinth. So we call this letter the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now, the topic on the table today is kingdom giving, all right? Now, it's interesting because I remember hearing a pastor say, and this is certainly true, I've certainly experienced this uh, in my own life, that that as a pastor, people will often confide in you about the most intimate details of their life. So as a pastor, it's not uncommon for people to discuss with me Uh, their sexual lives, right? Like like what their experience has been, what their journey has been, how do we follow Jesus? That's very common. But this pastor pointed out, you can have the most intimate discussion with someone about their sexual life, but if you bring up their finances, they're going to say, I can't talk to you about that. That's way too personal. (laughs) And when I heard that, I thought, that is so True, right? It's like when you talk about finances, you're talking about something near to and dear to our heart. And so, what we're going to see today is learning to bring our finances under the leadership of King Jesus is one of the most important spiritual steps we ever take. And if we don't take it, things will not go well for us. If we do take it, it's a key step in our spiritual transformation to become like Jesus. And so, there in your note sheet, we're going to jump in in that section called Christ's culture and the cross, that generosity initiative. So let me set this up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16 today. We're just going to be looking at the first four verses, but let me set it up. So long before Paul sent this letter to the Church of Corinth, he had been in Corinth, he had written them other letters, and he had introduced them to this uh, big financial fundraising drive that that God had placed in his heart. Here at Rocky Peak, we would call it a generosity initiative uh, to help the poor. And uh, like we just finished one with the like with the water and so. And by the way, uh, we're not, we're done, but we're not done giving, right? The idea was to give, so we're done suffering, right? Uh, like I realized yesterday, I had given up everything all week, um, but I had not given yet. It just hadn't dawned on me. Um, yeah, it's probably because the coffee, no coffee for a week, you start losing your brain, right? So anyway, so anyway. Um, this was a generosity initiative. So here's the situation. For whatever reason, we don't know all the reasons. We know some of the reasons. I don't have time to go into it. But the church in Jerusalem it was almost all Jewish. That church had a lot of poor members in it. I don't really know all the reasons why. And so Paul, what Paul is, what God put in Paul's heart is to take a collection up, uh, kind of a generosity initiative from all his mostly Gentile churches. So that he had started in modern day Turkey, modern day Greece, and that he would then send this as a love offering, can take it to the Christians, the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing: this had a, there was a couple big reasons. One is that these Christians were very poor, and as followers of Jesus, one of our highest callings is to love one another. We all know that the best way to say "I love you" is money. So this was kind of part. <laughs> So uh, this was part, hey, we're just followers of Jesus, and we're going to help the poor, right? That's what we do, right? Jesus taught a lot on that. So that wasn't one reason, but the other reason, and we often lose sight of this, that in the ancient church, this new concept that God's eternal plan was to bring Jews and Gentiles together under the leadership of the one Messiah and create this new community of Jesus' followers who would be united for eternity, that that was both a radical and a very controversial There was a lot of anti Semitism in the ancient world from Gentiles, and the Jews saw the Gentiles as dogs. So bringing this together was very tough. And so Paul says, Hey, this is one practical thing we can do as Gentile churches. We can go before the Lord, we can hear from Him, we can give as He leads us. And then this will build a bridge between the Gentile churches and the Jewish believers that expresses God's eternal vision and breaks down the barrier. So he's very passionate about this. So on a previous, in his previous visit to them, or maybe in a letter, he had introduced this generosity initiative. And when he did, they were all over it. The Holy Spirit moved in their lives. They'd be so passionate, they made commitments. Yes, we want to do this. But then, after, and so in this letter, uh, Paul is answering. Remember, they've recently written him a letter. Asking him a bunch of questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus from chapter seven on, he's been answering those questions. And today he's gonna to take up the last, the very last question that he wants to address is okay, so yeah, how do we start giving towards this project? And how are we gonna get the money from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem? And so he's going to give them instructions today on how to do that, right? But the beautiful thing is, as he does this, he's going to introduce four key spiritual principles about kingdom giving we see all through the Bible, right? So let's, uh, let's jump in and see what he says. So we're going to pick up at verse one. He says, now, about the collection for the Lord's people. So he's talking about this generosity initiative. They're asking him, how do we go about it? We're all in. And he says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So Paul had started all these churches in the modern-day area of Turkey and Greece. Those, the, area, the ones in Turkey were called the Roman province of Galatia. So, so Paul has already been traveling through his churches, writing to them, and, and telling them, here's how to approach this project. He says, let me tell you what I'm telling all the churches. He says, on the first day of every week. So what day is that? Sunday. Yeah, Sunday, right? Like no one over here knew. That was great. Some of you did. Um, so I don't know. Come on, let's go. Um, so, so on the first day, so we talked about this on Easter weekend. You may remember that for Jews, the holy day, a high holy day was Sabbath, right? It was Saturday. But after the resurrection, we don't know all the details, but very early on that the church began to worship on Sundays, which was a huge switch. And the reason they did it is because it's the day of the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus, as we've been learning in chapter 15, is the first step of the recreation of all the universe and our lives when we will be resurrected. So they began to worship not in the old week, but in the new week, that the new creation on Sundays. And so it's, it seems like Paul's assuming that they're, they're gonna be meeting together on Sundays. And so he says, on the first day of every week, Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So the more you make, the more you give, the less you make, the less you give. And you should save it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He doesn't want to have to do a big fundraising drive when he gets there. And and on top of that, if you just come and and you haven't really thought about it, you're not going to be able to raise as much money as if you save it over time. And so he says, then when I arrive, remember the next question is, how do we get it to Jerusalem? And when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve. So he says, you're gonna choose some men from your congregation to represent you to go to Jerusalem and present this gift. You'll choose them, and they, they need to be kind of men of integrity, people you approve. And he said, and then you'll send them with your gift to Jerusalem. This is a long journey. Remember, there's no Venmo, right, in this day. It's like, how do you get the money from point A to point B? You can't just like, hey, I'll zell it to you, right? So he says, and then we'll send it, but you, you want to choose men of integrity because it's a lot of money, right? So you want to make sure that they're not like dipping into it. And he says, and then if it seems advisable for me to go also, then they will accompany me. So he said, I'm not sure my travel plans yet, but I may go too. And if so, they can just go with me. You probably won't need a letter. Then he can introduce him personally. All right, so, so that's the passage. Now, so, so here's what happens. Paul lays out, here's how to do it, right? First day of the week, everyone gives. It's kind of proportional giving, real systematic. Uh, and then when I come, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll collect fun and we'll figure out how to get it there. And the question is, how did they respond to this question or to this instruction when they got this letter? And the answer is not well. Uh, Like in many other areas, this was a messed up church. And, And so when they get this letter, they don't respond well to the teaching of Paul on all these different issues. And so there becomes a rift between the church and Paul. And as part of that rift, this whole beautiful vision of this this generosity, it just, falls to the, it just falls to the side. And so Paul is gonna to have to write them another letter in a year or two. We call it 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine, he raises this issue of the same generosity initiative and he gives us, catch this, some of the best teaching in all the Bible on kingdom giving, 2 Corinthians eight and nine. So today, we don't have time to go through that. I wish we did um, but, but what we're going to do is certain points in this message, I'm going to refer to those two chapters because they're all part of the same story of this generosity initiative. And they help illustrate these four key principles that Paul, we're going to see today about kingdom giving that flow out of this passage more as an illustration of the principles God teaches all through his word about this important Topic. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross: Kingdom Giving One Hundred and One. Uh, and we're just going to run through these principles, right? So here we go. Number one. So the first thing that we learned about kingdom giving is that kingdom giving is for everyone. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And so this is one of the first things he says in sixteen two on your note sheet. He says, "On the first day of the week, what are the next three or four words?" Yeah, let's, let's read it together, because I don't want anyone later to say, oh, I just didn't know. So it says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. So he says, hey, every Sunday, uh, you should kind of uh, figure out what you made that week and lay aside some money as God's leading you, as we'll see later. And, uh, and so uh, this is for everyone. That's right. Now, this is a principle we see all through Scripture. Like, for example, uh, later on, we'll talk more, like I promised, about the tithe and does it apply and all this kind of thing. But, but one, of the, one, of the, one of the issues with the tithe was when God brought Israel into the promised land, he says, hey, hey, the, the, the tithe, uh, the top 10%, it belongs to me. And so it, it didn't really matter whether you're poor or you're rich. Of course, how much you gave would depend on how much you made but the tithe was for everyone. It's not like certain Jews would tithe certain others. It's not like this is for everyone. And a lot of people don't know this, but when we talk about financial giving, in Israel, there was much more giving than just the tithe. There were other offerings and things like that. Like, for example, in Deuteronomy 16, we're told that, hey, three times a year that all the men of the nation are going to travel to Jerusalem to worship the Lord with the three big annual feasts. Or festivals. The first was the festival of Passover uh, slash unleavened bread that would happen in the spring. And then 50 days later, you would have the gift, the festival of weeks, seven weeks, like seven weeks and then one day, 50 days. And we, it was called the, uh, the festival of weeks. We call it Pentecost. And then in the fall, in October, you would have the feast of tabernacles. So three times a year, the men would come. So let's see what God says. So in Deuteronomy uh, 16, uh, it says three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord. And whenever we see Lord, all caps, what does that mean? Yeah, Yahweh, we're gonna go before Yahweh your God at the place he will choose. And we we learn over time, it becomes Jerusalem, right? So at the festival of unleavened bread slash Passover, the festival of weeks slash Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles in the fall. Now catch this, no one, underline that word, no one, should appear before the Lord, what? He says, no one comes empty-handed before the Lord. You come before the Lord, you're going to come with a gift. And he says, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Catch that, in proportion. We'll come back to that later, right? So, so this is what we see all through the Bible that um, one of God's visions, we, we talk a lot here at Rocky Peak about being transformed into the image of Jesus, but one of the characteristics of Jesus we don't think about a lot is his generosity. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, that passage I just I referred to, that Paul says, hey, as he's inspiring them to give generously, he says, remember who we follow. We follow the one who, though he was rich, became poor, that we, through his poverty, might become rich. So God's vision is not just that we would give to advance his kingdom, but that we would give, that we would be transformed to be like Jesus in the area of gratitude, the area of trust for the future provision, and in the attitude of generosity, right? And so it's, so it's a powerful, so it's, and one of the ways we, we grow in this is by, by listening and following in the area of giving. Now, so this principle that this is for everyone, This is important for you to catch because as followers of Jesus, sometimes that we can listen more to our flesh or more to our fears instead of the spirit. Now, in a room like this, we have some of you that Jesus has been having you on a journey of generosity for a long time. Some of you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you haven't been on the journey of generosity. Some of you are brand new believers, right? That this is all new, right? But this is what we see is that, that, that kingdom generosity is one of his highest priorities for our life and, um, and that, it, that it, belo- it, it applies to everyone. And it's important because sometimes what's easy for us to rationalize, it doesn't belong to me. Right? And this doesn't apply. So for example, hey, I'm a student, and I don't make much money. But one day, when I have a career, then I'll give. And then, uh, then we get a career, and we, start, we get married. And we say, I'd love to give, but right now, we're just starting off. Our money's really tight. And then uh, we say, so later, we'll get." And then we have kids. Right? And then we say, I'd love to give, but you know the cost of diapers. It's kind of crazy, you know? And so, or maybe we're single, right? And we say, hey, well, someday when I get married, then we'll begin to work this whole giving thing. Or if you do, and you have young kids, your kid's growing into high school, and you say, I'd really love to give, but right now, man, the cost of high school sports and all the things, and then it becomes, hey, we'd love to give, but our kids are in college. You know the cost of that these days? So, Lord, after it gets done, and then it becomes, hey, the kids are gone now, yes, but we've never saved for retirement. And then it becomes, well, I'd love to give, but I'm retired. I'm going to fix income. So here's what I want you to catch, that Satan, our flesh, can justify at any point in life why this doesn't apply. But here's what I want you to catch. We're going to see today that giving is one of the most important spiritual decisions we ever make. And it leads to freedom and it leads to blessing, right? And so the enemy is trying to rip you off because you're afraid or your flesh and God wants to bless you. And we'll talk more about that later. Okay. number two. The second principle is that kingdom giving is, it's three words. It's regular, it's systematic, and it's proportional. And we'll talk through each of these words, right? So Let's talk about regular and systematic. What we see throughout scripture is that the kingdom giving is not something we do when we're just inspired by a project, right? Someone comes at sex trafficking and tugs at our heart, okay, I'll give there. It's, just, it's not something we do when we just come into a windfall of money. Oh, I got an expected bonus at it work. It's not something we do when we end the month with extra income, right? Which happens like three times in a lifetime, <laughs> right? So, um, so the kingdom giving is very intentional, and it's therefore very regular and it's systematic. And so um, let's talk about those two words first: regular and systematic. They kind of go together. So Paul says this in First uh, Corinthians sixteen two. He says on the first day of what? Every, every week. The first day of every. every week. You see, it's like regular. It's systematic. Now. In our context today, we're not in the agricultural. Most of us are not in that, that kind of thing. We'll see later. And so, so for some of us, we might say, hey, it's not every, maybe it's every paycheck, or maybe it's once a month, or it's some other time, but it's regular. It's just like, we're in t- this is how I do my giving, and this is when I give. And that it's, it's regular, and it's systematic. Um, and we see this throughout the Bible. Think of the nation of Israel. One of the things we'll, this we'll see later is when God calls him to tithe, he says, you're to tithe on everything, every crop. And we often don't think about this, but, but in Israel, there's an agricultural season. And so it starts, in, it starts in kind of the late spring with the barley harvest. And then it moves on to the wheat harvest. And then in the fall, there's the olive tree harvest, right? So... You, what you're doing is you're tithing throughout the year. Right? It's regular. It's systematic. And, uh, and, it, and it's also, it's not the, something you, you kind of wait till the harvest is over to see how much you got. It's giving off the top. It's a top priority thing. So often we can kind of say, hey, well, uh, I'm going to do my budget, and then I'm going to figure out how much I have left over that I could give. That's not the way it works. It's like, no, no, it's the first thing. Uh, giving to the Lord, the that's the way we honor him. Lord, everything is from you. Everything I have is a gift, and so I want to honor you. Yes. So why don't you, sh- if you'll show me what to give, I will give off the top. And this is what we call in the Bible the principle of first fruits. Like you don't wait to the end of the harvest to figure out. You start giving right away. And so there in your note sheet, one of my favorite verses on get kingdom giving is there, it's in Proverbs chapter three, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. And he says, and there's a promise, and we'll talk more about this promise later, but he says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new. I know God will bless you financially when you honor him with your your finances, all right? So we've talked about regular and we talked about systematic. Let's talk about proportionate. And so Paul says again here, 16.2, on the first day of every week, uh, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping what? With your right, so he recognizes that we're not all going to give the same thing, where it's proportional. We're going to give according to our income. Some will give more, some will give less. Now, if you think about that, that's exactly how Old Testament giving was with the tithe. We often miss this, but when you come to a tithe, hey, if one person gives 10%, of his field. Another person gives 10% of their field because one's three times bigger. It's going to be a lot bigger, right? And so everyone's the same percentage, but the amount is going to differ. It's proportional. So let's talk about tithing. And remember, I'll get to it later. You know, does it apply to us? But um, I want to just make sure we understand what the tithe was. So here's one example in Leviticus 27. So a tithe of what? Okay, tithe of everything. So he says, a tithe of everything from the land. So let's talk about what a tithe is. So tithe is a technical term in Hebrew. It's uh, not just a generic term for giving. Tithe is a technical term. It literally means, in Hebrew, one-tenth, one-tenth. And so if someone says, oh, I tithed $50 last month, if you made $500, that's a tithe, Right? If you made more than that, it's not a tithe, it's a tip. (laughs) So a tithe is 10%. So let's see what he says. So he says, "Um, a tithe of everything from the land, uh, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, catch this, it belongs to whom? The Lord. Right. so, So he says, this is not like really, like this belongs to him. And um, and he says it's holy to the Lord. Um, and it was set apart for him. And he said every tithe of the herd and the flock. So it wasn't just their agriculture; it was their livestock. Every tenth animal, like every year, the you know sheep can have more lambs. Goats can have more goatlings, whatever they're called. And um, so every he says every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Right. So so by its very nature. The tithe was proportional. That's the point. But we see this not just with the tithe. We also see it with the offerings. Like earlier, we talked about these three times a year when the men would travel to Jerusalem. Everyone's to bring a gift. No one's empty-handed. But look how that passage goes again. He says, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each one of you, each of you must bring a gift and catch this, in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Okay, so when Paul is telling the Corinthians give according to what you have. He's based on this Old Testament principle that was taught in the law of God. In fact, so much teaching in the New Testament is based on Old Testament principle, right? And so what I want you to catch is that that what the Bible teaches our giving should be our top priority with our finances. Um, It's our most important uh, financial commitment. Secondly, that uh, it should be regular, it should be systematic, and then it should be proportional. Now, number three, this is a really important one. Kingdom giving is a test. The third principle: Kingdom giving is a test. You say a test of what? It's a test of whether we're serious about following Jesus. It's a test of who is God in our life. Now, this is taught all through the Bible. It was true for Israel. Jesus taught this principle. The Apostle Paul taught this principle. In fact, in this very uh, situation, this generosity initiative that Paul appeals to this principle in 2 Corinthians 8, one of those two, two chapters. And uh, he's trying to inspire them to get back in line and start listening to the spirit again in terms of this project. And in verse, uh, verse 9 there, or verse 8 on your note sheet, he said, I am, I am not commanding you. So I'm, a, I'm not commanding you to give. He said, but I want to what? Test. To test the sincerity of your heart. He says, you, you say that you love God and you love people well, here's a generosity initiative that I've brought to you from the Lord. And when I first shared it, you were so excited. The Holy Spirit moved in your heart. You all made some pledges and commitments. And now it's time to see if you're really going to listen or follow what what you committed to, what the Lord led you to do. It's a test of whether you're serious. One of my favorite passages about this is in Luke 16, where Jesus teaches this. And he starts, he starts by giving a general life principle that applies to every situation, and then he starts applying it to our finances. So here's what he says. He says, he starts off, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with what? Much. Much. Okay, so that's just a general life principle, right? Um, He says, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much, right? So let's say that you hire someone, you have a company, a business company, it's a fairly large company, you hire someone in your company uh, to, uh, to, hey, it's a new hire. You're going to be doing the cash register. You're going to be handling the finance here on. And so they do a great job. They show a great attention to detail. They're extremely responsible. There's no t- there's, they're not dipping their hand into the till. And so you, you might say like, hey, this person really has, uh, they, they've handled this level well. They might be great in our finance department. So you go to them and say, hey, I've noticed you have a real gifting here and great integrity. Would you be interested in more responsibility with moving your finances? And that makes perfect sense, right? But he says, but on the other hand, if you find out they're slack, they're not attention to detail, they're skimming off the top, you're not going to say, hey, you're very dishonest at this level, so I'm going to put you in charge of all our finances <laughs> just to give you more opportunity, right? Because I, I think it's probably just the environment, right? And you and you're just, you're just never, no one's ever believed in you, and so I'm just going to give you another opportunity. Well, you'd be crazy. Okay, so geez, that's the principle, you test people out at a low level, and then if they show faithful, you expand their responsibility. <laughs> so he's gonna apply that now to our finances as followers of Jesus. He says, so, notice that so, that he's gonna now build on that principle. If you have not been trustworthy in handling What? So, Jesus refers to our finances of worldly wealth. In other words, the wealth of this world. Remember, his eyes is on the next world, but it's a, you know, this world, that he says, if you've not been trustworthy, underline that word. See, it's a test. Then who will trust you with what? True riches. Good. Hey, this side just woke up. That's, hey, welcome to the game. That's awesome. It's like, hey, put me in, coach. All right. So... Um, So Jesus says, hey, it's a test, right? And he said, God is watching in each of our lives. And he says, you know what? I I watch what you do with your worldly wealth. And he says, if you handle that well, I can trust you with true riches. What does that look like? A deeper relationship with God, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life, a new release of perhaps spiritual gifts or ministry opportunities, a transformative spirit, that we begin to live the life that God's called us to, have eternal impact. I mean, these are the true riches from God's point of view, the things that last, the things that matter most in life, right? And so he says, God is watching what we do with our worldly wealth and how we handle it. That's a sign, catch this, it's a sign of our heart. As Jesus said later, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So God is watching that to see where our heart is. And if our heart's in the right place, he's okay, now I can begin to bless you in new ways, to use you in new ways. And so then he goes on and he says, uh, and if you've not been trustworthy with what are the next three words? Someone, someone else's property. Jesus is reflecting the biblical worldview that everything we have, like the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24. And he says, so believers, so everything that we have, everything we own, everything we make, everything we ever will make is a gift of God. And it's, uh, our job is to be a steward, a manager of the resources God entrusts to us. And so he says that, uh, he says, if you've not been, faithful, trustworthy with someone else's property, kind of God's resources, then who will give you property of your own? He says, you know what? No servant can serve two masters. Like ultimately there has to be one top uh, value in our life. And uh, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise, uh, despise the other. And then comes the mic drop moment. You cannot serve. Both God and what? Amen. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us think we can. No, I, I get it. These people, they're not so sharp. I get it. Most people can't handle this, but I actually can. I actually can, that I can follow Jesus and man and treat my mind as if it's my, I, I'll, I'll figure this out. And Jesus says, no, actually you can't. Because in our lives, there's only room for one top value. And whatever that ultimate value is in our life is our God. And so often we don't realize this, that the high role that money plays in our life, like we don't realize it until we have to make a choice in the area of giving, until God comes to us. And, And then we find out, oh, I thought Jesus was Lord. Uh, Maybe not. And so Jesus says for everyone, if we're gonna follow him, this is a a narrow gate that we have to go through, right? Uh, And then let's go on to number four then. And the fourth principle goes like this, and I love this, kingdom giving is blessed. Kingdom giving is blessed. And this is a principle we see all through the Bible, that, that God says, if you give as I lead you, you trust me with your finances, I will bless you, and that blessing includes financial blessing. Now, this teaching is sometimes taken too far. There's a kind of a there's a wrong teaching that's out there we call the prosperity gospel. So the prosperity gospel says God's will for every one of his children is to be healthy and wealthy and successful. And so if you're not wealthy, then there's either sin in your life or you're not giving enough. So what you need to do is you need to start giving, preferably to me as your pastor, and then you'll have a corporate jet like I have. See, this is how it's worked in my life, right? And so we've all heard this kind of, uh, Paul would call it scubala, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, refuse or crap, depending on the uh, definition, right? Skubala, all things to me. He says, I, I'd give up everything for Jesus. I consider everything I've given up skubala. Uh, look it up in a Greek dictionary. All right. So Paul says, no, no. That's, that's so we see that that's not always the case. What we see in scripture is that there are times when, as believers, we may go through hard times financially, even if we're doing what God wants financially. It's like, if, just because you've, you've listened and followed doesn't mean you'll never lose your house, or that everyone will get a house, or whatever their measure. It doesn't mean that. Um, uh, in fact, we often see in our lives, it's through hard times financially that draws back to God. And he does some of the deepest work in our life, right? And you see, biblically, the prosperity gospel doesn't fly because Jesus was a poor man, Right? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, there's times when I've been really blessed, there's been times I've been really dirt poor. And even in this passage, think about it, Paul is leading a generosity initiative for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And there is never a whiff that they're doing something wrong, there's sin in their life that they're not giving. It's not about that. So there's, the prosperity gospel takes this too far, but it is a true principle. You see all through the scripture that God says, when you give as I lead you, that I will bless you. And that includes financial blessing. Right? And Paul appeals to that principle in this passage. In 2 Corinthians 9, remember those two chapters, 8 and 9, this is how he wraps up his teaching. And look what he says. He's going to use that agricultural illustration. He's like, when you he's, when you got to plant a field, if you just plant, you just put a few seeds in, you're gonna get a small harvest. You put a lot of seeds in, you're gonna get a big harvest. And, and he's using this to illustrate clearly in context that, that if they give generously to this project as God leads them, God's gonna bless them financially. And so he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, you know, a few seeds, will also reap sparingly, yeah. little blessing. And he said, and whoever sows generously, will also reap generously. But here's an interesting thing. He goes on to say that the reason God blesses us when we listen and follow in the air of giving is not just so we can increase our standard of living. He's giving it to us so we can increase our standard of giving. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And so look what he says. Just a couple verses later, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. And the context is finances. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. Right? Be a conduit of God's financial blessing to others. And then a couple of verses later, he says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And what is he saying? He said, as you listen and follow, you give generously. He said, we're gonna take this gift to the Christians there, the poor Jewish Christian, and they're gonna be so moved that God has done such a work that that though you are Gentiles and the anti-Semitism was so great, that God has so touched your heart and changed you at a core level that we truly are one in Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're one body. And it's unbelievable that Gentile Gentiles will be giving to Jews, right? He said, and they're going to stand back and they're going to worship God, a God who can transform human beings like that, right? And this is what happens. As God blesses, as he directs us, we join him in this lifetime, lifetime journey of giving and receiving. We become a conduit of God's blessing that brings praise to him. All right, so four principles. Now, this leads to one key question. And the, the key question is, there in your note sheet, Kingdom Giving 101, one, one key question. And the question is, are you passing the test? Right. So again, in a congregation like this, or those of you who are joining us online, we have a wide diversity. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, and he has taught you all these lessons of generosity, and you'd be the first to, you're probably the people here that throughout the service are saying amen, right? Right? <laughs> That, yeah, it's like, probably you're not the person who's not listening to the Spirit. And you're going, amen, preach it, Pastor. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the people are saying amen. They're the people that have been on this journey, right? So some of you here, uh, you've been following Jesus a long time, and you've not been obedient, right? You, you know that, right? You're not amening me. Uh, and then <laughs> there's some of you that are brand new here. You're like my wife when we were young. It's like, like, are you kidding me? 10%? Right? So, um, we're all over the map here. But the question I have for you is Are you passing the test? And you're walking, like Jesus said, this was a test whether we're serious about following who's our God. So, would you say you're passing the test? And I want to say this super clearly. My goal here is not to put a guilt trip on you today. Amen. Like, that's not what we do here. It's not what I'm about. My goal as one of your pastors is to say, Hey, this is what Jesus says is the path to life. What you do with that is between you and Jesus, right? So my, my job is to say, hey, this is what he's told us. This is the path to life. And then you have to decide this. So, so I'm not here to like make you feel bad so that on your way out, you drop a 20 in the give box out there. That's not it. Like I, I want to see your life transformed. Right, And I want to see you follow Jesus in a way that there's a radical transformation. And that cannot happen if it doesn't include our finances. It's one of the key things of life, one of the most important things. That's why we'll talk about sex before we'll talk about money. That's right? right? Yeah. And so the question is, it's is not about guilt. This is saying, hey, just honestly, do you feel before the Lord that, hey, you're, that you've been listening and following and doing what he's asking to you to do, that you're passing the test? And, and so you say, well, how do we do this? Like, how would we approach this? How, how, would I, how would I start? And I'd say, well, I think you need to have a conversation with Jesus. Like that, that every one of us, Uh, needs to have a conversation with him at some point in our Christian walk and probably several times in our Christian walk, we come before him and we say, Jesus, I just want want you to know that you're truly my Lord. I'm not just saying that, it's true. And everything I have and everything I own belongs to you. And as your son or your daughter, I'm bending my knee to you as my king. And I wanna put all my finances under your leadership. How I make it, how I spend it, how I save it, how I invest it, and how I give it, I want to come under your leadership. I want you to direct me so I can please you in this area of my life. And all of us have to come to, we have that conversation, we surrender our finances, and then we ask him to lead us, and then we listen and follow. So let me just share kind of one story in my life. This was before we were in ministry. I didn't even know I was going to be in ministry. But you know, when Lynn and I it goes back to the story we started the day with, we're young 20s, right? And we're just out of college. We're not making hardly any money. Uh, what well, things are really tight, but we just felt like we needed to go before the Lord. And, and so one of the challenges was this whole issue of tithing, and does that apply to us today? Because many Christians say that's what it looks like to listen and follow. You have to tithe. That's where you start your giving. and You build on top of it. that's a bare minimum. But there are other Christians who don't, and so there's these these. It was like confusing to us. You know, like we're willing to do anything, but we want to do it for the right reason. And so, uh, so you may know this, but in the Christian community, I would say the majority of pastors, Bible teachers, you listen to people on the radio and so on, the majority would say, yes, that what God required of Israel is kind of the baseline where we start the tithe today, that if you're a Christian, you need to start. And they have some great arguments for this point of view. Uh, they would point out that the, the tithe was not started with the law of Moses. It was started hundreds and hundreds of years later with Abraham the father of the Jewish, right? He models this. They would point out that his grandson, Jacob, models this. So when it comes in the law, it's not like a new like a law. It's this new thing that's been incorporated in as this is a true way to honor God. And we even see Jesus in Matthew 23, when he's ripping on the religious leaders, we even see him actually praise them for this one area of their life of tithing. So he speaks positively. On the other hand, there are other Bible scholars and believers, uh, pastors and so, probably more of a minority, but they would say, hey, you know, that was for Israel. That's Old Testament. We're not under that law, um, that we have the Holy Spirit now, and so we should just listen and follow whatever the Spirit leads us to give. Now, here's the interesting thing, that though these two parties say you start in a different place, Either way, they would both argue you end up at the same place. And here's, what, here's why. Because what they would both agree, with, hey, if this is what Israel was required to give of God before Jesus came and died and gave his blood for us, before the Holy Spirit came to empower them, do you really think that we who are now followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit would be less generous then Israel was required to be. I got to make a lot of sense, right? So they kind of end up in the same place. They would just say you start at a different place. Well, so this was part of our question. We want to honor Jesus. We want to follow. But we both heard both sides of this. We just felt like we needed to hear from Him. And so we began to pray. And um, and so it was about two weeks into it that I felt like God spoke to me. And I've shared this before, but you know, when I I believe that God speaks to different people in different ways. And like with my wife, when he speaks, it's in words. It's in a sentence. It's in phrases. It's maybe in pictures that he interprets or whatever. And uh, so when, she, when, she, when the Lord uh, uh, gives her a word, like what happened this week, right, then for, for a ministry thing we had going. And when he speaks to her, she, I always say, hey, write it down for me. And it's always, just, I was like, this is it, you know. And if I'm later, like, hey, remember when the Lord said, no, you, you missed the third word. And it's very specific, right? But with me, it rarely happens, rarely if ever happens that way. When, with me, when God speaks to me, what happens, I like to call it a spiritual download. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, when you download a file, like when you download maybe a podcast or a song, it's like, it just, boom, it just comes and the whole thing's there. And when this happens to me, I can put it into words, but it's not, it's in common words. And uh, on this particular day, when the Lord spoke to me, it was unlike any other time in my life, because it was like we had a conversation, and I was listening in on it. And it was like this: the the thing. Remember, we were kind of newly uh, had started attending this very young church; We've been there like a year or two. And so, it was like a conversation, like a Q and A. And what Jesus asked me is that, "Michael, is this your church?" Yes, Lord, it's my church. Um is this a place where you come to grow and pursue me? Is this a place you learn and you learn my word and you build community and where you, you grow? Yes, Lord, this is what place I grow. And then he said, well, is this a place that one day you hope to raise your children to come to know me? Yes, Lord, it is. And then he asked me a question that I will never forget. forget. And there was not a hint of reproach or a hint of rebuke but it was powerful. And this is what he said. Well, why then would you let others pick up the tab for your spiritual life? Amen. And you know, I never thought of it like that. I had never thought of it like that, that, that as a community of like giving's not just between me and God, that giving is the way that Jesus funds his movement. Right? And so when a, like a church of uh, believers comes together, it says, everyone does their part as everyone gives in proportion to the blessing, right? It says everyone gives that the kingdom advances. And I'll tell you, in that moment, it was like a light went on for me. And on top of that, for me, for me, it was clear, boom, clear that the Lord was calling us to start with the tithe, 10%, off the top, even though we were poor, didn't have much money, that he would press a step of faith. And, and it was so clear that this is where we, t- we were ready to start, and that, that from there, we, he would lead us in the adventure of getting on top of that as time went on. And can I tell you something? It's been one of the greatest blessings of my life. And can I tell you, this was before I was in ministry, before I knew I was going to be in ministry. Remember, I, I didn't want to be a pastor, remember? So, um, so it was before all that. Um, but I'm so thankful it was Before. Because I can speak with a lot of confidence. This is not something I'm saying as a pastor. This is what I'm saying as a passionate Jesus follower. Right, right? It's an interesting thing, you know. We all come at different places. We're all here at different. I want you to know something, at least in this point in my life, that I've made a decision when I came to Rocky Peak that I didn't want to know what anyone gave. And a lot of pastors, maybe a majority, would say that was very foolish. You need to know. But can I be honest? I just felt like I don't trust myself. I don't want to treat anyone differently because of what they give. So to this day, I don't know what anyone gives. So when I'm, when I'm challenging you here, and I'm looking at you, and you think it's because I know It, it isn't. It isn't. Yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, yeah. although I did get a word from the Lord from over here. Uh, no. mm-hmm. So here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear my heart. As a pastor, I want to put my dad hat on, right? I put my dad hat on. I, like, what would I tell my daughters? Not as a pastor, but just as a passion of Jesus. What would I tell my daughters? And here's what i tell them is that every one of us needs to have a time in our life where we go before Jesus and bow the knee and surrender our finances. How we make it, how we spend it, how we save it, how we invest it, and how we give it. And we need to come before him, and it's one of the most critical moments of our spiritual life. And the reason is not because God needs our money though we uses as our kingdom, it's because God wants our hearts. And he cannot bless us, and we can't grow to be like Jesus if he doesn't have our hearts. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why this is so critical. And so uh, my question for you today is, does God have your heart in this issue and have you come to that place of surrendering and then listening and follow? I tell you, if you do, I can pretty much promise you, you'll never regret it. You will start with this journey where God will transform your heart to be more like Jesus. And because he has your heart, he can release his presence and power and voice more in your life. He can trust you with more spiritual gifts and impact and leadership, making a Make your life count for the kingdom, for eternity. But it all begins, right? And so here's the thing. So what's God gonna do in your life? My guess is that for some of you, he's gonna say what he said to me. It's 10% now and you're gonna go, but I don't make enough. And he's gonna trust me in this. And God is gonna take you an incredible journey providing beyond, it's like impossible. And I'm telling you, if you talk to people who have chosen, they will have stories, It didn't work. It didn't fit the budget. It would, and God provided. And if He calls you, that's beautiful. But you know what? God may call some of you not to. He may start call some. Hey, start with two percent. Start with four percent. Start with six percent. He may call some of you. Hey, start with this amount of money. This amount per paycheck or this amount per month. As your pastor, I don't care. I don't care where you start. What I care about is you listen and follow. Because if Jesus has your heart, I know he'll get you where you need to be, right? But if he doesn't get your heart, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance of growing and being transformed. Because the reason is, God is not your God. Money is your God. And giving is where we find out how serious we are, whether it's God or money. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you so much for this time together and the beauty of your word. So often so counterintuitive, something that we would never come up with, but it's through this gift of giving, God, that you transform us by the power of your spirit to be more like your son, and you use us, and you can bless us. Let me pray, Lord, that, that for each of us, we would simply do, we'd come before you, surrender all we have to you, and then ask you what you want us to do, and we would just simply listen and follow. We pray this in your name. Amen.